All right. Hello and welcome to season two of Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you feeling confident Monday to Friday with me, your host, Paul Armstrong, creator of the TBD conference. Interviewing powerful people is easy, but that's not the mouthwash way. Instead, we're exploring the less obvious elements of power this season. What's really driving the world? Who's behind the scenes keeping the wheels on? Who's messing things up? Who's got power? Who wants it? How do you get it? We're exploring it all. Joining me every episode is a smart cookie of my choosing, and today's cookie is none other than MDM founder of one of the world's fastest growing influence agencies, said Sedge Beswick. Uh, not only my client when I headed up the team at Mindshare, Sedge now runs Scene Connects and is calling in from a fully vaccinated impromptu Spanish holiday. How's the weather, Sedge? Absolutely glorious. Cannot oh. wait to get outside, but I've been chained to my laptop so far. <laughs> so jealous. I knew you'd be chained to your laptop as well. Okay, before I chat more with Sedge, uh, let's talk about where we are and how you can get involved. Um, Twitter Spaces is still a beta product from Twitter, so let's explore it a bit. Um, on the mobile app, the top bit is called The Nest, and that's where I or any speaker can post tweets like the ones you see um, above where you want to ask a question. Mouthwash uses this section of uh, the app to discuss in a section called we call um, Desert Island Tweets. Um, you can click through, follow accounts, uh, check links, etc., and that's something. It's pretty handy and a unique feature to Twitter Spaces. You can see all of your faces and all the speakers are at the top. Spaces allow up to 11 speakers at a time, including the host. So you can have still have a really good conversation, multiple voices, but it's not a free-for-all and nightmare to manage. Um, request the mic in any space you're in by clicking the mic in the bottom left-hand corner, although Mouthwash is more of a show format, and we actually take questions via the hashtag Mouthwash Show. Um, if you want, to ask a question, click it in the title, save your fingers uh, some tapping. Twitter's also recently uh, introduced a slew of monetization features, so you actually know they're taking um, spaces seriously as well. Um, if you look at the bottom right of your phone screens, you'll see all of the icons, dots, people's hearts, etc. The dots are where all the settings are, so you can turn on captions and other accessibility features there. Super helpful. Um, okay, time for a bit of audience participation. Um, share, share, let's share out the space. Um, so please join me and click the icon on the right, the staple with the the arrow pointing up and click share via tweet and it'll create a little tweet for you and just put live now or if you want to write something even sexier feel free um, but once you've done that just hit tweet um, and then it'll go out to the world and that's a really uh, great thing to do just generally when you're in a space but also especially mouthwash because for every person you entice into the space a tree actually gets planted courtesy of the smart cookies from ecology who make offsetting carbon footprints super easy you can find out more about them over at ecology.com and that's e-c-o-l-o-g I.com. Uh, whether it's for personal stuff or your business, Elliot and the team are great partners to work with, and I've worked with them for TBD for years, so super, super, super easy to do it today. Thanks also to Shell for sponsoring the show. Shell's recently published a target to be a net zero emissions energy business by 2050 or sooner, obviously in step, in step with society, and you can find out more about how Shell is powering progress over at shell.com forward slash powering progress. Okay, time to shower Sedge in a frankly alarming array of emojis. If you click the heart with a plus by it, you can begin showering while I tell you more about Sedge. And don't stop until the end. Okay, so find the heart, click the heart, select watch emoji and keep doing it. Uh, okay, ready, steady, go. Sedge Beswick is Managing Director and Founder of Scene Connects, the innovative global influencer and social marketing agency. Before heading up the international team, Sedge focused on London and before Scene, she actually worked for Red Bull. Three and ASOS in varying roles, but always cutting edge marketing. Um, I have fond memories of doing Pass the Parcel on Twitter uh, with Sedge, which was uh, considered groundbreaking then. So, how far we've come. Um, a global speaker, a force for change in the industry, and a champion of inclusion, women, and getting shit done. Uh, I love Sedge to death. So, thank you for joining us, Sedge. Um, what was the first thing you thought of when you woke up this morning? How quickly can I get through my laptop and get outside? <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, how have the last 18 months been for you? What's, what's it been like uh, running a business through a pandemic, growing a team internationally and that sort of stuff? And personally? Yeah. It's been, look, it's been a challenge, the same as everyone will say. Challenge is kind of the core word. But it has been the most exciting 18 months for influencer marketing. And as you've kind of addressed and chatted through, the growth has been phenomenal. Um, that's the team, that is the number of clients we're working with, but it's also the budgets that the existing clients are working with too. We are doing some absolutely epic, epic stuff. And as soon as we kind of got our head around, shit, we need to leave the office and we need to make sure that everyone can access the server remotely, then it actually, the kind of morale within the team, the excitement within the team for actually look at this space, look what people are doing, the kind of crappier agencies within this space and there's a lot of cowboys those guys have kind of not survived the last 18 months so yeah it's been exciting and looking ahead looks even better so I always feel slightly guilty when saying that Um, (laughs) but yeah no it's been good it's been good I mean it's good when you've got a whole sort of uh, industry of outdoor money sort of like well what do we do now (laughs) sort of things sort of come your way and that sort of stuff yeah Um, talk me through um, numbers in general how big is the influencer economy now and what are some of the projections yeah, so I mean the the numbers are brilliant. Um, even just from a Connects perspective, we've grown about two hundred and fifty percent over the last eighteen months, which is amazing. And we are looking to get to awards around by the end of twenty twenty two. I keep thinking I'm in twenty nineteen still, so get my numbers mixed up. Mm. Uh, but yeah, looking um, UK market about fifteen um, billion pounds worth of spend being spent within influencers. Good God. And I think in, um, what do you call it, in 2018, it was um, 4.6 billion in total. It was sort of really sort of starting out, wasn't it? It really has seen an explosion. And I think that's the difference, right? When are we kind of, I've had the agency now for five years. When I set it up, there were like 80 influencer agencies um, in the UK. It was very much a like, really? You want? You think there's a whole opportunity for influencer marketing on its own? And, you know, I couldn't tell you how many influencer agencies there are in London alone now. Um, So the whole space has just gone through unbelievable growth. It's gone from this kind of testing, this seems like a shiny new thing, to actually, this is serious. If you do it properly, if you do it the right way, and again, I'm fully aware that there are a lot of people doing it the wrong way, um, then you can drive return on investment. You can build brands through influence marketing. You can have unbelievable content produced, created through influencers the same way you would see in your kind of above the line campaign, to use the example you gave before. Oh, we are going to talk about it all, said. Trust me. Right. <laughs> okay. Um, I ha- well, Let's start with that because um, there, there was a veiled dig there at what I've said previously to you. So let's do it. Um, I have a lot of issues when it comes to influencers, as you well know. Um, mm-hmm. But it is humbling to see amazing content from fa- uh, really talented people. And, and then we get the people sort of trying to flog you a scale because, you know, they wanted a free one or they get money off of affiliate links. Um, it's getting grubby out there, I think, uh, as a lot of people fight for attention. And we'll talk about attention more a bit later as well um do you think there will always be this delineation between quality producers and bottom feedery folks or are they sort of coming closer together do you think i think there will always be that and i think that's the same for any marketing discipline there is always you know it could even be the emails that brands send out some are brilliant and i'm sure they work really well others you're like jesus christ how brands still sending emails like this Mm. social media there's brands that excel at it that are phenomenal and then you equally have brands where you're like, huh, who's running this? Like someone's granddad attempting to kind of be on TikTok, um, running a business account. And I just, 
for me, it's much more around when you you start it, it's working out what good looks like for your brand, for your business. And yeah, there will always be people that kind of give the industry a bad name. I mean, the word influencer on its own, you know, is fueled with narcissism, let's be honest. Mm. Um, and so, and that's why a lot of people are kind of making a play at changing the word influencer. They're being called creators, uh, increasingly so. And it's industry terms was, was, was what an influencer was supposed to be. And now it's just kind of become this, you know, I want to be an influencer. And those people, unfortunately, will never be the ones that do kind of make it to the Joe Wicks levels or the Alice Livings of this world because they've done it for the wrong reasons. They haven't done it because they've got purpose, they've got a niche input in the industry. Um, so yeah, there'll always be a few cowboys out there. If I'm honest, it all feels like the Jehovah's Witness sort of model. You know, there's one ladder and so many rungs on it. Uh, and it's kind of it's seeing who can who can sink or swim and that sort of stuff. But to take your point mm-hmm. about the, uh, the 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 tag and the name influencer and that sort of stuff, it does just seem like oh well, creator will be the next one sort of to go and that sort of stuff. Yeah. Because really, yeah. most people aren't creating anything. You know, they're they're recreating or remixing stuff, which you can argue is creation in and of itself. But I think you know, and, and being brutal, everything is a remix, which is a great series on YouTube from many years ago, which you should watch from. Um, uh, which is which is a very very good series actually everything is a remix, um, but let's talk power. Where is the power in the influencer industry? It doesn't feel like it's with the creators right now, or is that naive of me? Oh, that's a great question. Um, ultimately, the power the powers with the platforms. Uh, they change the algorithm. They change you know the trending hashtags on TikTok, and people can go from hero to zero quite quickly. So. You know, the the power is still with the platforms. That's the reason why, you know, Zuckerberg is looking to invest more millions into creators, as he's calling them, uh, to be on his platform more so than any of his competitor platforms. And then ultimately, again, I guess secondary to that, well, I guess this is quite an interesting point, but it's whether the power lies with the brand trusting the influencer or the influencer needing the brand to be able to you know create a living out of this because ultimately influencers the good influencers they are businesses within their own right they do this as a full-time job it's how they pay their mortgage their bills mm. and they need the the brands and they need the affiliate models and the you know view rates and ad models across youtube to kind of make success of it so yeah i would i would say the power lies with the platform I think that's interesting because when I was thinking about it, and obviously I do not, I'm not in the, you know, the the, the industry that you were in, and you know, have the experience and that sort of stuff. But when I was just like literally writing it down on paper, I was like, sure, the platforms, they're, they're the sort of channel through it, and that's the thing. But when you think about it, real influence, if they were influential, they would be able to take one platform and move it to another one. And I see so many people not able to do that, or mm-hmm. they do it really badly for different reasons, and that's the thing. And I kind of think that there's power in the word sort of influence in general, um, as we sort of mentioned a bit earlier. But I guess it's, you know, where a lot of my issues with Finger Wiggles influencers land. Um, a lot of people just aren't influential. They're well followed, but most sort of would, most people wouldn't leave their houses to go and buy a limited edition paintbrush from someone others obviously would travel millions of miles to do the same thing i guess it's a part of how fandom is changing really and that's where i sort of landed it but to what degree would you agree with all that do you think that fandom is you know changing totally and that this is just a sort of natural evolution of it or do you think that influencers and that sort of industry is a completely separate beast that we've never seen before mm. so I mean, there's quite a a lot to break down in that. But I think the main thing for me is, one, you're totally right. If you are, again, thinking about yourself as an influencer, as a business, 
you know, the success people have got off TikTok in the last six months, nine months, managing to get to, you know, three, four million followers, the success comes in them, you know, doing a, um, you know, I want to be a musician and they launch a YouTube channel so that they can get visibility as kind of that new avenue, that new revenue stream, or they set up a brand and mm. they trade. Because again, what they're trying to do then is they're future-proofing themselves, that the whole emphasis isn't on TikTok and TikTok alone. However, you know, because you've done a lot of social in your time, like social is 24-7 graft. It mm. does take a lot of time, a lot of effort. And actually, you know, those with three, four million followers, they, you know, might be younger audiences. And actually the thought of going onto Instagram might be terrifying for them. They don't understand it. It's a platform where their friends aren't. So then they don't want to spend and engage their time. However, you know, I do think if you you're creating something interesting, you're creating something niche that no one else is doing, there is opportunity to yeah, capitalize on that fandom, grow your reach, grow your the platforms to which you're on and getting ahead of the curve on that as well. I mean, you know, Mrs. Hinch is an example, 3.7 million followers when I last checked. I mean, she's probably at 7 million already because her growth is phenomenal. Uh, she's on around about 19% engagement rate. She was the first to talk about cleaning, how to clean, hacks for your home. Again, I'm not interested in cleaning. You know, I work hard so I can get <laughs> someone else to clean my house because that was my idea of hell. And But there is an audience for that, that and in, no one else is talking about it. And subsequently, whilst her following is on Instagram, she has now got her podcast with her husband, Jamie. She has launched, I think, three books. She's working with some of the biggest brands. And so again, she's managed to take that fandom, grow that and turn that into a business for herself. Mm. and obviously she's got a management team who are probably like pushing that and getting 10 percent. would that be fair or does she all do it herself yeah, yeah no she's signed to gleam so she is kind of with the dom perignon of um talent agencies oh they'll send you a check in the post for that one right okay so the power <laughs> of the industry is it, it feels like the power of the industry is really analytics what impact can a person prove i see the argument for brand exercises and that sort of stuff but we are in 2021 going into 2020 2022 pandemic still rife possibly we'll get a multiple new wave god knows it's all about anti-vax which we'll come on to a bit later but the brands still need money in the tills right it, it's got to be coming down to like what you can prove rather than just like oh have you entertained our people that's fantastic thanks yeah exactly so look again when it comes to producing and creating content there are a lot of vanity metrics involved that is not siloed to influencers so you know what's the impression what's the reach what's the earned media value it gets fun and it gets exciting when as you said you prove return on investment that varies and that changes based on each of the different uh, brands that you work with based on their scale that they're at so actually you know we did a product uh, we did a project sorry for a very well known um company that sell candles that are very well known they're probably in 50 percent of the houses of the people here their task to us was for us to produce content in our local markets it's super expensive we have to send our brand team over there has to go through x amount of sign-off processes you know we have to get studio we have to get insurance and so we worked with nano influencers they had no more than 2,000 followers they were huge advocates of the brand already and they produced very localized content in the homes that you would expect from people in the Philippines, in Thailand. The, the value there was actually they managed to produce content at scale significantly cheaper than if they'd gone through a production arm. Whereas when we work with like retailers, every influencer will have a tracked uh, link on anything that they're promoting, that they're talking about. And you can then see what that click through is. You can then see where they converted. So, you know, one of our clients, we realized that one of their influencers, no one ever bought over 38 pounds, an item over 38 pounds. 
amazing. We can adapt and tailor that strategy to ensure that that person is talking about value around discount, around sale. And have and behold, like the next month, we drove 60% increase on sales directly from that one influencer because we got the price of the product that she was promoting correct. And I think, again, there's so many brands at the moment that are still, you know, they might be showing return on investment. But actually, are they then looking at what that data is telling them? Are they then looking at what those trends are within that kind of data set and adapting and evolving their strategy? Or are they just continuing to do the same thing because it's what they've always done? And then you can get far more nerdy when it comes to um, adding a paid model within the influencer work too. So the same way you might take your branded content and looking at the various, you know, lookalike audiences, overlapping pixel tracking. You can do all of that stuff with influencer content too. And if conversion is what you're focusing on, then yeah, you should absolutely shave out 20, 25% of your fee to make sure that you can elevate that influencer content and make sure that it's got that conversion message on it as well. Yeah. Um, right. Three not so easy questions or not so positive questions. Um, I find it you, fascinating. You're not positive about influence. <laughs> I can be positive. I just choose not to be. No, it's fine. Um, <laughs> uh, I find it fascinating that on one hand, we've got um, younger folks making accounts, dreaming of being YouTube creators. And then we have accounts like Influencers in the Wild, which sort of shine a light on the ridiculous lengths that um, people take to fake shots and seem like they're living the dream life and that sort of stuff. When in fact, um, they bought a couch to a crosswalk just to flex or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. Do you think there will be a backlash on influencers or are we at peak derision slash backlash at the moment? I mean, there is constantly backlash. Even again, five years ago, when I set up the agency, you'll kind of get in a room with people and they'll go, absolutely not. And it'll be for different reasons. They don't like the fact that these people are influencers. They don't like the word influencer. They don't mm. like um, the fact that the industry tends to focus on vanity metrics. They don't think it will work. My job's to prove that it would work and it does yeah. work. You're just probably doing it the wrong way. I think, again, within any industry, with any sector of marketing, you're always going to face a bit of shit. Like, it's not <laughs> for everyone. Everyone's not going to like it. People have horrendous experiences, but equally influencers have horrendous experiences with brands, you know, that don't pay them or, yeah. you know, in their contracts say, you know, it's for organic use on your social feeds only. And then you see that image being used with like a hundred grand's worth of spend behind it. So again, it kind of always works both ways of kind of being clear with what the expectancy is up front. And yeah, you're always going to face scrutiny, scrutiny. Oh God, I can't get my words out today. You're always going to be scrutinized. There we go. Um, <laughs> if you are an influencer and if you work in the influencer space, it's just part and parcel of the job. And if you don't like it, it's because you're doing it wrong. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. There is a dark side to influencer culture that's being covered more and more. Burnout, algorithmic bias, uh, mental health issues, cancel culture, which I want to talk about a bit later as well. Um, I've spoken with a fair few influencers over the years, and I've found a lot don't want to influence anything. They just want mass attention. Um, <laughs> would you agree with that? And if so, what percentage of influencers in the world sort of tend to fall in that camp, do you think? Uh, right. Percentage. I'd probably say it's 50-50. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. You have half the people that are exactly that, like they make the money that they need to make off um, YouTube ads and they're happy with that. It does what they need to do. And then, you know, maybe once in a year, once every two years, they'll do a brand, you know, the same way that you do a celebrity ambassadorship in the you know previous life. That kind of keeps them happy. And then they get to kind of stay uh, key to who they are, key to what they want to talk about and be seen by the masses and have all the eyeballs on them and have a few PR stories around them every now and again. And then you have the others that are doing it 
because they want to make money and the way that they make money is often through affiliate marketing, through sales. So they have to know their audience better than a brand knows their audience to make sure that they're driving that conversion. And that's when you can spot an, a decent influencer is when they're saying to a brand, actually, here is my case study. Here's the time I work with, I don't know, you talk about sofas, snug sofa. And <laughs> actually when I was you know, designing my ex room in my house, I did talk about lick paint and I did talk about Juliet toasters. And subsequently when I spoke about them, yes, here's the vanity metrics, but also here's the conversion. Here's what I made as a commission based model through affiliates. I'm going to work for you. You guys should give me, pay me to talk about said sofa. Mm. I think that was the difference, wasn't it? I remember when you first went to scene, because um, we sort of, I went freelance at the sort of just a year after I think you decided to go that route. Um, and the way you described it to me, I went, that's why it'll work because you just talk numbers to people, you know, and a lot of other people are, you know, just putting icons on pages and that sort of stuff. And I, I saw those decks and I just went, I, people will buy it because it's fluffy and sort of lovely. But when I sort of see, when I think about marketing and marketeers and that sort of stuff, it feels like it's still going to be the brand's fault for chasing massive numbers rather than actual reach, if that makes sense. Exactly. I'm interested, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say it, it, the really funny thing is exactly that. I sometimes have clients and I think my job as like running an agency, doing new business is making sure that I do what the client wants us to do. And you know me, I'm very outspoken. I'm very blunt. And I'm more than happy to say to people, oh, that's great that you want, you know, 10 nice pictures. But actually, let's go away. Let's look at, you know, it might be eight nice pictures, but you might, you know, one of our campaigns, we, for every pound they spent on influencers, they saw a return of 17 pound. We know that we're the best performing marketing channel for them. That's far more fun for them to go back internally to their bosses. But I do have a job to do of understanding why those clients come to us. And some of them want to win awards because they needed a promotion and they're bored of not being recognized because people still right. don't take influencers seriously enough internally. Others want to unlock bigger budgets. So again, the only way they can do that is by proven return on investment. Others you know, need, I'm trying to think of other examples off my feet here, but yeah, everyone's got a different role and a different purpose as to why they started with influencers. I mean, I have had people who are doing influence marketing because they really want to meet someone that was in Made in Chelsea personally. I'm like, brilliant. I'll pay for <laughs> you to go for breakfast with Ollie Proudlock, but let's not waste my time. Like that's, what's that going to do? Why am I carving out you taking them to Chilton Firehouse in our budget? Because you've always wanted to have a selfie with him. Like, that is how ridiculous some of the requests have got. Mm. I'm just internalising that rage. Okay, right. Um, also, so... you know, Lisa, you know my rage when I did see that. <laughs> I'm, just... I'm like, I'm working really hard here to make this like a really solid space, but to not be like Disneyland. And then I've got a brief that says, please, can you make sure that I go to breakfast with someone from Made in Chelsea? Yeah. Yeah, I'm still internalizing. Right, okay. Um, you mentioned earlier that Facebook's um, paying people from a £1 billion fund, which is peanuts to them. Um, TikTok's doing their creator fund and sort of seems to be always on and that sort of stuff. YouTube also always on. Um, others are going to follow if not the, if they're not doing it already. Um, I get it's a career path, um, but it does feel like a battery farm that incentivizes clickbait and low-level eyeball getting. Um when you read about the nitty gritty of these deals and sort of look through mm -hmm. the, the the contracts and stuff, um, to what degree is that a fair statement? And how do you counsel brands? How do you counsel brands if that's the case? Yeah, I think again when you talk about the first question, which is like who has the power, 
the power play with the platforms is that, you know, Facebook wants people on their channel and they usually have a new feature or a new ad model and they want these creators, influencers, whatever you want to call them, um, to be the ones that test it so that they can then work out how they need to evolve and change their product offering because no one knows, you know, there are people, the Facebook creators that know Facebook better than Zuckerberg probably now in terms of like how to grow audiences because they are, he's at a significantly different level to what they're doing in terms of growing audiences, getting those eyeballs on that content. Mm. And I think, you know, I, even if you take TikTok, the, the amount of money that they used to pay for people to get views as creators, it's paid off. You mm. can't talk about influencer marketing. You can't talk about social media. You can't talk about marketing without talking about TikTok. You watch the Euros. TikTok is the dominant player in sponsorship. They've got, obviously, they're a Chinese-backed company. They're owned by, you know, what ByteDance. But they've, ByteDance, got, yeah. they've got the money behind them to get that visibility. But they have also got this highly engaged audiences that means it's not going to be a Vine 2.0. Yeah, I think it's interesting with that, isn't it? When it comes to um, people coming to you with brand, uh, what do you call it, pitches, and that's the thing, or briefs, rather, that's the word. Um, give me an idea of where people are sort of, netting out is it instagram first then tiktok then facebook or does it completely there is no pattern to it or is it very much like people follow the what, what's popular du jour the great question that varies aggressively i would still say the most confidence is with instagram and i think that's because you know every man and their dog has an instagram account regardless of whether they post or whether they're passive i would say tiktok i mean in the last 18 months ago, brands were like, yeah, 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 we should do TikTok, we should do TikTok. And then as soon as it got to crunch time, they're like, oh, just do it on Instagram, it's fine. Um, <laughs> which is always really fun for me because it means we have to change the numbers dramatically because it costs about 75% more to work with the same person, same following, same audience on Instagram as it does to TikTok, which will change. Um, but yeah, I would say Instagram, then TikTok. We're getting quite a lot of LinkedIn-based work at the moment. Uh, we've always kind of ticked tick, tick along with YouTube. Um, we're doing quite a bit on Twitch, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But again, it takes a lot more hand-holding because it's a platform that people aren't as comfortable and confident on. Mm. I, I do see all of those numbers like rocketing up. People are just spending their time differently. And I'm intrigued whether post-pandemic that stays the same, you know, whether people, you know, drop 40% and that sort of stuff. I've seen podcasts, you know, decimated because of the pandemic and also made because of it. I think that's the sort of power, isn't it? But it also does yeah. show that influence isn't equal and that sort of stuff. Um, right, podcasts is a really oh. interesting one. So I used to spend, I think in 2019, can I get no 2018 what year did the, no 2020 was the pandemic year right yeah so 2019 still a pandemic Serge I know you're oh, in Spain but God. we're still in a pandemic <laughs> <laughs> the core year so yeah 2019 about 30% of the revenue that we took from the business was on podcasting producing podcasts podcast sponsorship podcast ambassadorship and then as soon as the pandemic hit I don't remember the last time we did anything podcasting because it's immediately was so much more accessible it was the expectancy was that it can be lo-fi um that you know maybe in some cases brands couldn't measure the return on investment from it um so i found that quite interesting and equally i would say probably in the last 12 months we'd gone from 50 percent of our influencer campaigns involving paid media and now we're at you know 80 percent of our campaigns involve paid um talk to me about audio spaces quickly i, I realized i hadn't actually created a question about audio spaces but are clients getting into that sort of realm and if so which ones and all of that because obviously uh 
Twitter spaces is super new. Most most people don't sort of understand it, but they have built up Twitter followings for years. They just never have got to use them in this way. Yeah, I actually, I've been asked to go on a lot. Obviously, we're here chatting. I've done quite a few clubhouses, but actually from a brand's perspective, none of them have. Um, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I actually think in some cases, quite a lot of the brands that we work with are like heritage brands there. So they're not ever going to be the first because there's quite a few sign-off processes to go through. Right. I also think when it comes to how we're going to measure the success of this, there probably isn't a clear enough answer the same way that there would be on TikTok or there would be on Instagram currently. Mm. Um, we, we both know that followers don't equal influence, um, but it can equal clicks. Um, to what extent do you think that brands are in charge of the change that we need to see in the world when it comes to creating quality original content? Yeah, I think um, the brands, there are still so many brands who just, well, do multiple things, send shit to people and hope that they post about it, never going to work. Why are there still beauty brands out there that send an influencer every single shade of foundation? It's one of my biggest pet peeves because one, bloody lazy, and two, the amount of waste is just ridiculous. And I know yeah. so many influencers that are just like, oh yeah, I just bin, you know, I get sent 30 shades and I bin 28 of them. Um, Jesus, and- their friends must be livid. <laughs> but it's also quite an awkward question to be like, hey, like what shade do you want foundation wise? I think you always have the like if you're an influencer you've got the friends that you know close enough but like again it's just a bit awkward it's a bit clunky it's not the same as giving someone like 10 lipsticks you can wrap those up for your birthday right um but then so yeah those brands who are you know not (laughs) compliant with their sustainability policies and (laughs) those that are still doing it in quite a lazy way they're not going to see success but they also probably haven't thought about what success actually is then there is also the brand's have to do a role of one briefing influencers properly by briefing them properly it sounds so simple but actually giving them a clear obvious brief of what it is that success looks like for them what they want to achieve making sure that they've understood the influencer and where their success is whether that's reels whether that's tiktok whether that's you know short form youtube like understand the person don't send the same blanket brief that's bloody lazy Mm -hmm. The next would be making sure that you give the influencer the opportunity to talk to you about their audience, who their audience is, what their audience engages with. Otherwise, you'll be disappointed. And then brands should also be asking for case studies. Like, you know, we're an automotive brand. Can you please tell me a time when you've worked with a brand in a similar space and what good looked like for you? They don't have to say what the brand is. They don't have to share the content. But again, it's just making sure that they're thinking about it from a, you know, investment perspective versus you know they wouldn't just plug 100 grand into facebook and facebook tells you exactly what that worst case scenario would be for that 100 grand influencers should be doing the same thing Mm. how much um reliance do brands have on paid media still is that are you really are we really seeing a dent in it because of influencers or creators or does one sort of need the other I think one needs the other now. I think it's the old, you know, we've been chatting about, well, I mean, you and I have definitely chatted about this for years, but like what happens to organic content? How, and yes, that's why people then started pivoting to influencers. But again, you look at platforms like Instagram, people's reach is getting handicapped. So again, it's making sure that you can get it seen by the right audiences uh, and giving them the opportunity to purchase. My favorite stat is that on social, you have to see a piece of content 11.4 times from a brand before you convert. 
again, you get the organic, you then get it posted on the brand's feeds, you then, you know, get it boosted by paid media. That's how you're going to drive the kind of trust, the familiarization with that product, with that brand that then will drive the conversion. I mean, that just sounds exhausting, to be honest. And that number's gone up from 8 to 11, which means obviously we've all, um, what do you call it, maxing out on multiple platforms and that sort of stuff. I think the only ones getting rich in all this are media agencies, but every one of those I meet as well, which just seems to cry poverty as well. Um, <laughs> let's uh, go meta before we go to TikTok and then we'll talk, we'll end on the future, obviously. Um, so this was my third question right okay so um i'm sure you have seen the news recently about the youtube influencers being paid by shadowy forces from russia and other countries um to peddle anti-vax stories um no doubt other platforms aren't immune for that either they just haven't come out um but it does show us the power that these folks have for good and bad um Mm -hmm. and also if they don't know the difference which is more terrifying um but they're also the need for greater regulation as many folks have large numbers and no management as we talked about earlier pop your honesty hat on do you think the influencer industry needs more regulation yes i've been saying that forever and a day 100 percent. what changes would you put out um well I, I, on that story the kind of youtubers exposing the agency like that is amazing and that's yeah. where social influencers can be brilliant because yes they could take the money and they could you know, create content around anti-vaxxers or they could just ignore it and be like, that's not for me. But again, they used, they did use their reach for good, in my opinion. You know, no brand is ever going to go to those agencies again. They'll be dust in a few months time. Uh, And I also think it allows the YouTubers to build trust with their audiences that actually when they do say yes to a deal, it's because they really mean it. They're not just following the latest paycheck. In terms of like regulations, I mean, you know, this is a really good example. We did a a campaign with a dating app about three, four months ago. And we had for the tier and the scale of influencers, we had our fair pay was uh, two grand for that level of influencers. And one of the girls came back and asked for 150 pound. The other two came in at like 2,500 and 2,300 or something. And again, most influencer agencies would go, brilliant, I made a right saving there. That's epic. And actually we went back to that girl and woman, I should probably say, and we basically explained to her what her rates should be, why those rates should be the way they are. And she was like, oh, brands just say yes to me every time. I'm like, yeah, because you're not charging them enough. (laughs) And actually, you're not really understanding the nuances. And obviously, that person wasn't managed by someone, I think she had about 250,000 followers um, on the key platform. And again, that's where like the influencer space is a bit like the Wild West. There isn't fair pay for creators. There isn't fair play for fair pay for content. So that needs to be regulated. The clarity around, you know, using filters. Um, what's just happened in, I don't know why I can't remember the country. Anyway, a European country. Mm-hmm. I would say Norway. Anyway, they've just um, introduced a regulation where influencers can get fined if they use uh, any filters because obviously they're not showing the project product in fair light uh, and obviously mental health, all of the other stuff that kind of comes through for their followers and their audiences. So it's incentivizing people to uh, be truthful, be honest. And again, I think that's a huge area in terms of um, the influencer space kind of getting tighter from a regulations point of view and all of this hashtag hashtag gifted i'm so gifted hashtag ad all of that stuff people the influencers still don't understand it enough and that's where agencies and brands have a job to do to make sure that it's 
demystifying, that it is clear and that actually we are making sure that the space has the opportunity to grow and to mature mm. because the only way we can do that is by people truly understanding it. I, I couldn't agree more with that last sentence. I actually didn't know about the, I'm going to Google whether it was Norway or whatever, but that, that filter one, I think that's really interesting because I think there is two sort of elements to that. I think there is the um, outside world impacting creators and influencers and that sort of thing. And then I also think you've got the platforms which can say, oh, we're just going to tell everyone what you did to this photo because it's an ad and that sort of stuff. The argument comes is where does the truth go away, right? Where does someone go, I have got paid for this, but I haven't sort of done it. You know, do we have to start looking in bank accounts? It's like when you go into the nitty gritty, a lot of it is based on trust. And unfortunately, that gets abused multiple times around the day and that sort of stuff in various sort of bits. But I do think there is an, interdis- an interesting discussion to be had or being had um, in various places around the monetization of content um, from audio spaces to VIP life tiers and that sort of stuff. Namely, that there's an expectation that everything you do and say can and should be monetized. You've got Patreon to Instagram. If you mention a brand, you should be paid. If you tweet about a brand, you should be paid. Access to your life, you should have a tiered pricing system. Big picture, Sage, what do you think about this? Where is that going? And it's not sustainable, right? That is just not sustainable, no. And also, like, how... how I mean, I'm, I'm thinking very selfishly here, like, you know, I've got like three followers, one of which is you. You're <laughs> um, welcome. <laughs> but, you know, I obviously talk about trainers all the time. Imagine if every time I, I want to talk about Nike, I love Nike. I can talk about Nike all day long. I can talk about Nirvana all day long. And actually, again, if you then start to make it that every time you have to speak or talk about those brands, there's got to be a monetization angle to it. The whole space just becomes horrendous because nothing is ever then going to be genuine and I'm so surprised what are we 37 minutes in and I've managed to not say the word authentic but here we go (laughs) you know the space then no one's going to trust anything that anyone says because they're going to go oh yeah well actually you know their cost per mention of every time they mention they say Nike is that they get x and you know I just yeah I don't see how that would be scalable as a model and I don't see how it would you know, get rid of the issue of trust. I think it would do have the reverse effect. Mm. I think it's interesting, and obviously percentages change and that sort of stuff. But um, the most recent one I saw is, I think, was um, through Stackler. Um, they said that twenty three percent of people believe content from celebrities and influencers is influential in their lives. Whether obviously that's their self reported number, and that's something. Whether or not it's seventy five percent has to be discovered. But when do you think brands are going to uh, shift their strategy uh, from the mega? Uh, followed to the sort of micro followed and laser target content is that is that even likely to happen it just seems like come on guys that's marketing give people what they want not like give everybody a blast of rubbish and some of them want it yeah but i mean i am way the data that i have and the brands that i work with which you know i think we've got 24 brands that we've worked with we work with at the moment obviously some of those swap and change Mm. um we see far higher return on investment from those that are celebrity or high level influencers versus the micro nano, whatever we want to call them influencers. The vanity metrics are phenomenal. You know, your engagement rate, your cost per um, engagement rate is amazing when it comes to um, micro and nano. And if you're the brand I spoke about earlier that wants mass content, so, you know, we produce 360 pieces of content on average each month. We've got something like a 26% engagement rate, which is nuts. But actually, if you look at the conversion and who's buying, us working with a Lewis Capaldi, a Laura Whitmore, um, you know, even Alex Stedman, I think... 
oh God, I was going to say, I think she's about 300,000 followers. I wouldn't have a clue off the top of my head what she is anymore. Um, those people are dry, driving a lower cost per a higher cost per engagement but the conversion is significantly better so again for me it comes down to one of the things we spoke at the front at the start of what is it that you actually want to achieve why are you doing this outside of having breakfast with proud lark and then you can drill down of what those success metrics look like look like and how you're going to deliver it if you're if your focus is i want the highest engagement rate hell yeah go wild get you know 500 nano influencers talking about your brand if you want them to convert you need you need all those 500 influencers to drive the same as one person with 300,000 followers might have. Mm. I think it's interesting. I haven't seen a longitudinal study done of, of that exact thing. It's like which one works over time. I just see a lot of people pouring money into these rich people pockets and they get an, an outcome, but then they have to pay for it again. And I'd be like, there's no strategies I often see from a lot of these campaigns. And, you know, I, I'm judging panels and that sort of stuff. I'm always looking for longevity, that longevity thing of like, have you done a smart campaign then and also for the future? Like, was there any inkling that you've thought of the day after? <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. And I just yeah, don't see yeah. it. But I have seen, um, uh, to your, I think to you sort of mentioned or riffed on it earlier, I have seen a real shift from platforms go from the PR days of everything being like nice and fluffy and this is great if it converts into acting more like e-commerce and sort of seeing more e-commerce strategies sort of folded in. And I think one of the um, platforms most sort of that fits in with that description or certainly that arc and that sort of thing would be TikTok. Um, mm -hmm. And they obviously have grown throughout the pandemic. And like you say, they're huge in Asia because that's where they're based from. They're growing, in, you know, and their sort of influence is growing and sort of, you know, can you do a TikTok and that sort of stuff. Um, but I, I don't yet see them fully formed as to what they will be. But you can definitely see inklings of they want to sell live and that sort of stuff. And that's happening in um, Asia and other parts. Um they're sort of owning the share of voice around influence for the moment. Um, they recently announced Spark Ads, which is an ad format that allows brands to sponsor already published posts with the post creator's approval. Um, that potentially cuts out agencies, right? Do you think that's the future of influencers when it comes to brands? Like, let's create for us and just do you? Or is it a scale play for rich brands? Mm -hmm. We've actually got about six or seven Spark Ads on today. But again, where we've come in is the influencer has created the content for the brand. It's been posted and then it's been spend has been added behind those posts. Um, yes. I guess. Give me the question again. They've announced Spark Ads um, with the post creator's approval it potentially cuts out agencies. Do you think that's the future of influencers when it comes to brands, i.e. less create for us and more just do you and we'll just scale it? Well, I mean, I bloody hope not because I won't have a job. Uh, <laughs> but about like, it must have been about three years ago when Instagram announced that it was going to have their creator hub. And at the time, I remember shitting it going, God, this is like the end of agencies and when this is rocking and rolling. But actually... It's automated. There's no humanness to human element to it. It is very much just a, you know, you go in and you get what you pay for. And actually, yeah. if anything, I've had more brands, you know, who move away from those models, like the platforms, the Takumis, the Indahashes, because it is just it is a platform that is selfless, that you don't get to select the influencers. You don't get to understand the rationale as to why that person is right for you. Mm. You don't get to, you know, add your UTM tracked data onto it so that you can match it up to your own Google Analytics. And again, I think in its simplest form, like, yes, you might see an amazing piece of content for a brand, but who's going to be the one finding it? 
And that's going to be a job in itself. Like at ASOS, when I worked there, we used to use a platform called Curolate where people would use the hashtag, I don't know what it was like, I'm wearing ASOS. And it wasn't obviously that, but people would then, you know, manually, there was a team of about 20 people that would take those images and match them up to the product pages on the website so that you could see it on real women of all different shapes and sizes and men of who are styling things differently. But I think, you know, 80% of those pictures were totally unusable because people would use that hashtag on a toilet seat. And again, it's the same thing. Like who is going to trawl through all that Nike content to find one asset that is then good enough for media spend to be added behind it? Mm. Oh, well, that jumps ahead to a question I was going to ask you later, but we might as well ask it now. Um, how do you think AI will change the influencer power relationship? Do you think it's all going to become automated? Oh, again, I don't think so. But I don't want to sound like I'm a dinosaur that hasn't isn't catching up with the times. But... <laughs> Again, I just don't, I just think this space needs a human lens. It needs a human brief. It needs someone making sure that the content works. It needs the influencer being human and understanding. And like, yeah, like um, there's some great AI AI accounts on the flip side of it. But again, they've kind of had their shelf life and they've done kind of what they could do and that kind of being its fad and its stage. Mm. I think. It's very geographical when it comes to, um, not fake influencers, but, you know, the computer-generated ones and that sort of stuff. It's much more, it tends to be sort of like over in Asia and Japan and Tokyo and those sorts of things because that's their sort of heritage and culture and they sort of like those, um, you know, online personality types. Like here, we feel that's very weird and, um, oh, you're trying to trick me in some way. Whereas over there, it gives millions of people a lifeline and a sort of like a friendship group because of the way that they are um, geographically positioned in the world and that sort of stuff. Yeah, I find yeah. that really, really fascinating when it comes to AI. I don't think that's ever coming over to Europe en masse. But equally, I've seen uh, virtual influencers have fashion mm-hmm. campaigns where they've made more money than models and that sort of stuff. And I just think that's nuts. But I also think that's a really interesting way the human psyche is sort of like changing acceptance of things and people. And maybe that will change, um, you know, beauty standards and filters and that sort of stuff. I think the more that goes digital, to your point earlier, I think the fairer it will be for everyone. And I certainly hope that more acceptance comes from it. And I feel that there's massive opportunity in the market to have some agency be really smart, be like, you want to show representation? We'll make all of your models black, you know, and that sort of thing. And all of that. There's there's a really interesting campaign-y, Cansy award-winning idea somewhere in there. <laughs> but um, <laughs> there's an option to sort of like make the world a sort of nicer sort of place because I kind of see an interesting guy dichotomy forming on the one hand we're all told to be real crave authenticity etc and yet we have people using filters left right and center um when, when you think about that sort of stuff where, where does it all end where does it all end well it doesn't <laughs> she's like a margarita at the end of this call <laughs> yeah exactly that's why you uh, call it mouthwash no no easy <laughs> here with you paul as always a pleasure you're welcome um, yeah, I look, I don't I don't think it will end. And I even think, you know, I, I am convincing myself and backing myself that it was Norway uh, with the, <laughs> the uh, beauty uh, regulations and filter regulations. But there's always, you know, it's even if you take it again, talking about um, Asia, you're not allowed to use platforms such as Facebook and Instagram, but they all have a VPN so that they can access them. So if people yeah. want to do something, if they want to do it a certain way, they will always, always manage to find a way to do that. Yeah. Do you think that Instagram's got a sort of timestamp on its head because of TikTok and that? Or are people, they've poured too much time and attention into it and now they're sort of like self-fulfilling prophecy? Nope, not that sunk cost fallacy. Just poured 
money into it now they're like oh well, we just got to keep going because we? we've got thousands of followers here and none here i think from a brand's perspective it's still a chunk of change is always going to be thrown into instagram for the next few years but i do think instagram has to change and do something quite significant that isn't you know mickey mousing another platform reels tiktok audio files all of that stuff because People are getting bored. You can tell that the space feels saturated. You can tell that people are kind of craving something a little bit different from the channel. Mm. And again, from a creator's lens, when they do do something different, when they do challenge the status quo, they are the ones that are kind of getting that reach. And I think from a brand's perspective, it's basically impossible right now to grow your Instagram audience because of the way that the algorithm works, because of, you know, the content is all quite... Um, methodical versus creative. Mm. And that's why TikTok is interesting and exciting at the moment because, you know, what was that ice cream, the mini moons? Um, I think they had a 1,500% increase in demand from a TikTok video going viral. And people will always ask the question, like, when you go viral on TikTok, did you actually go viral? Well, yeah, they've proven it. They've shown that actually it drove that impact. And I think, you know, Asda recently did, there was a feta cheese pasta bake thing that went viral I mean, I am a cliche and I obviously had to try it. Um, but Asda then, when you got to Basket, said, you know, did, do you want to try the feta cheese pasta? Try? And you could literally add those things immediately to Basket there. Like brands are evolving and, you know, trying and experimenting to be led by social versus the other way around. I should, yeah. I'm a brand, therefore I should have social. Um, and that's why platforms like TikTok are exciting because brands can, you know, get to a million followers. Red Bull hit, I think, 8 million the other day and it's, it gamifies it for also the social media managers, which is probably one of the hardest jobs on earth because it's yeah. so boring. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that's the, that's the interesting part of this for me is you know when the inf- when the influencer and creative economies lose the word followers because I'm like I don't care I want you to be influential and your content finds the right people. That's my. You can have a following. That's fantastic. That's great. But actually, I think there's going to, I think the future for me is, and I'm going to ask you this afterwards, what you think the future of the industry is, is um, a world where we live, where content is found by the right people because they've got signals. And I see TikTok really laser focusing on that. They're getting that e-commerce bit right. And they're learning from um, uh, China and Japan of like what people sort of do and bringing that over here where Europeans will lap that up same with Americans and I kind of see it it's, it's coming less away from the sort of like cancel culture we've seen a Karen we'll put a video up of it and that sort of stuff and they're starting to see real use cases when it comes to um, e-commerce and I kind of like that from like kits that you can order or recipes with a click like you mentioned and it goes straight through into a basket beautiful um, where for you do you think it's all going? Yeah I feel like we um I've probably touched on it all without saying this is the future, but you're right. I think TikTok is leading the way. It's got some exciting and really interesting models that will evolve the space. I think the regulations is a really key one. I do think it will get incredibly more regulated than it kind of has been to date. Uh, And I also do think that, you know, the budget and the spend that you've seen in Above the Line in TV campaigns, more of that will be going across to better content being seen and served exactly to your point by the right people and people will realize that actually if you do this and you do this properly it is it it does drive return on investment it does drive revenue to the business and all of a sudden you're not sending you know your CFO or email going it was amazing because we reached 18 million people you're sending an email that said look we spent 200 grand and we made 500 grand and that's such a better narrative 
Um, and that's where brands need to stop focusing again on the vanity metrics and focusing on what you can do when you do it right. Mm. I think it's interesting we're still talking about vanity metrics because we were talking about them 10, maybe 15 years ago and it's yeah. still happening, which which tells me one thing. It's probably here to stay for a little bit longer. Um, certainly a lot to unpick from everything that we said, but I would be remiss if I didn't say, what's the next TikTok, Sedge? Oh, God, Paul! Um, <laughs> what is the next TikTok? Or what's thrilling you right now? Apart from a drink. <laughs> Yeah, the thought of a drink right now. Um, do you know what's really interesting to me at the moment? And I think this is also kind of accelerated. This is not what I'm saying is the next TikTok. But WhatsApp for business? I mean, oh, I can right. go to Bista Village and I can shop Bista Village through my WhatsApp for business. It's amazing. The amount of Lululemon gear that I bought from Bista Village without having to leave my house all through WhatsApp. And that got me interested and excited again around like the narrative, the explaining why this product works to a consumer that feels far more personal and a I know we've been talking about personalization for the last 10 bloody years too but okay. it does personalized it does feel tailored to you you can ask those questions uh, and it's smart it was re- I think what Bista Village have done with WhatsApp for Business is amazing interesting okay I mean I'm probably the only one using it right <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what? I must admit, I haven't seen, and I like to think of myself as somewhat cutting edge, at least once a year. Um, I haven't seen many people use it well. And that's the thing. I've seen like some opening hours, but that's about it, really. But yeah, who knows? Um, Right. Okay. Um, On that bombshell, um, it's time for Sedge's Desert Island tweets, the part of mouthwash where the guest picks a tweet or two that has changed their mind or thinking in some way. So please turn your attention to the nest back in the app. And if you can't see it, just scroll up and you should be able to see it's a yellow um, square. And it's from um, Whitney Wolf Heard and it's talking all about Bumble. Um, Sedge, why did you pick this one? Just describe it a bit. The main reason why I chose this one is because Whitney Wolf Heard is a badass. And I just, I think she's obviously to be the youngest female to IPO is incredible. Um, and I'm not doing that because I'm a female running a business. I'm doing that because she's she's just smart. She's done things the right way. And again, the way that she's tweeted about the fact that IPOing, it's not about her. It's not about what she's achieved. It is about the platform. It's about the audience. She knows her customers. She knows what they want and what they need to see. And I just think... You know, there's so many initiatives and things that she's done um, as a business leader, which have kind of made other businesses that are significantly bigger than hers in many cases think differently, act differently. And I think that's so insanely powerful. You know, she gave everyone a burnout week off recently and everyone gets full pay. You know, there's a lot of businesses that couldn't think of anything worse that I'm sure when they saw that in the press were hating her. (laughs) Um, because they just can't compete with that kind of leadership and kind of innovation in terms of like how to look after your team and how to treat them well. I mean, there's a flip to that as well, having to give someone a week off because they're so burnt out. Maybe don't burn them out so much, but anyway. Um, oh, yeah, like you're, that. yeah, you always see it that way. <laughs> she, she, she is good. I do like her a lot. She has turned me down to speak at TBD uh, very late last minute. Uh, so, yeah, she's on my list. But she's a very nice um, CEO. She's got a lot to say, super smart. So definitely give her a follow and sort of uh, investigate around. I think that was a good choice. I really do. Um, right, nice positive sentiment to leave the conversation on. Thank you for being a part of Mouthwash, Sedge. I know you are away and enjoying yourself. Any final thoughts? or advice for listeners when it comes to power of influencers? No, mate, just do it properly. Do it the right way. Don't be lazy. 
excellent. I like that. I like that. All right. Connect with um, Sedge. Scene Connect. Um, holler if you want a uh, referral. Happy to give it to you. That was episode 17 of season two. Thank you so much for listening. How did we do? Let me know and the world uh, by using the hashtag Show. I am thrilled to have an amazing cohort of brains joining me for season two. I've curated a bevy of smart folks from Babylon Health to Beauty Stack CEO Sharmadine Reed, who's actually up tomorrow. Um, don't miss a minute by checking out mouthwashshow.com for full details, downloadable contacts, uh, calendars, and links to previous episodes, which are now podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Music, and all other quality podcast platforms. Um, once again, my thanks to the amazing Sedge Beswick. Follow her on Twitter, Sedge Beswick, and find out more about her on sceneconnects.com. Please show your appreciation one more time with a shower of emoji for Sedge as the lo-fi music plays us out. Thank you for joining, and thanks for the beautiful folks over at Ecology for planting a tree for every listener we get in season two. I have been Mouthwash. This has been, uh, sorry, I have been Paul Armstrong, actually. This has been Mouthwash, fresh chat that leaves you more confident only on Twitter spaces. Have a great day, everyone, and thanks again, Sedge, for your time. Thank you, Paul.